You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to Line Noise. Uh, and I know I always say this, but today we have a very, very special guest indeed. Carl Bartos, uh, who was a member of the legendary group Craftwork from 1974 to 1990, uh, co-writing many of their best love hits, including The Robots, Neon Lights, and my own particular favourite, The Telephone Call. His autobiography, The Sound of the Machine, My Life in Craftwork and Beyond, uh, was published in July, and it is well worth the read. Absolutely fascinating. The bits on Craftwork are brilliant, but so the bits about his early life are really good. And then he talks about everything he's been after, uh, recorded with electronic, his solo career, video, met very, very many things. So we talked um, about his inspiration for writing the book, uh, Craftwork's history, um, what the book tells us about creativity. He talks about Electric Cafe, the Craftwork album, uh, working with electronic uh, and meeting with Florian Schneider with all kinds of things. I very much hope you enjoy it. Uh, I certainly enjoyed doing it. Hello. How are you? Hello, Ben. Hi, it's a, it's a real pleasure to speak to you. How how are you today? Well, the, the heat is turning down now, so it's it's getting better. <laughs> yeah, there was a storm in London, wasn't there? I think. Well, a little rain. I wouldn't call it a storm or a hurricane or something. When, but the the temperature was like in Florida, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I'm in Barcelona, and um, you are in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. And I was amazed. People were basically saying that London was about six degrees hotter than Barcelona. And like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you need. But um, yeah, but it's really lovely to speak to you. I really, really, really enjoyed the book. I think I read it in about three days it was um really yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a fabulous book um and thank you i mean i i just felt it was very emotional i, I suppose obvious obvious question is why did you why did you write it well some some time ago i had this professorship at the berlin university of the arts and they asked me to give a lecture or rather a seminar on craft work but I, I, I thought to myself, I really don't know what to say. <laughs> so, so, and I, I didn't want to talk about music theory only. And so I ended up, uh, I, I gave a lecture on the, on the Beatles recording sessions in Abbey Road. And I started to write the book to finally analyze uh, what was going on in my 16 years uh, membership of Kraftwerk. <laughs> And this is a book. It's actually uh, uh, a lecture, <laughs> a seminar. I, I got you mentioned as well that the the, the catalog uh, re-releases inspired you in a way to write the book. Um, why was that? Yeah, why was that? So I I always found. Uh, the situation in the Klinkland studio with the writing sessions and everything, what, what I experienced there in the, in the first half of my membership, it was one of the most inspiring encounters of uh, creativity in my life I, I had. And I wanted to find out <clears throat> how everything happened. And when I, when I listened to the catalog and I saw it, it was just like, uh, a curated past, a curated form of our past, like the uh, the so-called retrospective in the in the MoMA 
in the Museum of Modern Art and here in the Tate Gallery in London. And I wanted to, to, and I thought to myself, we have had so many years, decades, just one perspective on craft work. And it, 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 maybe it would help if there was another one uh, to give, give my perspective from my point of view. And so it, it helped a lot to have all this re-released at one point, but then came the, the next re-release and uh, re-release after that, and it was always remixes and uh, the same thing over and over again. And this reminded me on what happened in our society, because I think the whole globe, the whole Western hemisphere has now changed in a, in a huge, in a gigantic conveyor belt. And there is put on resources, and uh, it was it, it's turned into consumer products, money, and rubbish. <laughs> so, so, and this is exactly. And then I found out while I analyze everything what we have done before, what we have experienced in the in the eighties within the Kling Klang Studio. It's exactly what happens now in the world. So the, it's very interesting you mentioned creativity because I I spoke to my wife. Uh, I was telling her about the book. Um, and I said, one of the things it's about for me um, is about creativity and how it works and how it doesn't work. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think creativity was um, happening with us when when we actually lived it. So all art, I think, and all culture is, is some form of conversation. So on culture is a conversation on different levels. And within Kraftwerk, uh, we, were, we were talking a lot on music and we, I think we felt a little bit kind of attraction towards each other because I brought in my, my classical background and Ralph and Florian more the arty background coming from the fine arts. And I brought in the clear light of classical music, and we we found a good way that our our personal creativities merged. And so I thought it was it was happening, and and we and and we stopped reading, talking to each other, and we continued our conversation with within the field of abstraction, the abstraction of sound. So one instrument talked to another instrument, and the third one, the third instrument gave a comment on that. And this is the nature of music. And then when the digitalization came into the Kling Klang studio, we didn't play and we didn't talk to each other. We transferred everything we have done before into the computer. And while doing us this, we were tidying up art. <laughs> So we, we put it into neat uh, directions and rearranged everything. So what does this book tell us about creativity in that way? Did you come to any conclusions about it? Like why, for example, how you can keep being creative? Being creative means... You know, being a mu musician, you have to discover that all musical um, sound, the sound of music, 
is um, imitation of nature, of the world, of our thoughts. And while, while you create music, you transfer what you think into the sound of music. And the thing with pop music is that if you listen to Beatles record, it says Lennon McCartney. <laughs> so it's a joint of creativity. And the same applies to the Rolling Stones. You have Mick Jagger and Keith Jarrett. And within Kraftwerk, you, you have Ralph Hütter, Florian Schneider, Carbatos. And there was a poet, uh, Emil, Emil Schult. And it was the merge of creativity who made it possible. And also, you have to live creativity. If you are a religious person, you have to live, you believe in God while you are praying. P praying takes is, is very important for to live the religion and to live music. You have to play it. And when you transfer it into the computer, copy and paste becomes a manifesto. So, but copy and paste doesn't mean you invent something. You just put it from this place to that place. And so if you stop the conversation, the, converse, uh, the creativity and the so-called flow stops. So was it quite a liberating experience for you to write the book? It felt like it was. Well, it, it's, it was just the fact that I actually couldn't talk about what was my experience on a university, university level. I couldn't actually give a seminar on craft work because I haven't analyzed it properly. So I had, actually, it, it's, it's a book with three themes. One theme is the nature of music. Another theme is, is my life, the, the story of my sound, my biography in sound. And the next step is uh, the report on what happened in Kraftwerk. And I found out that, that we have experienced many things that happened in society in general. Because like music imitates reality and nature and our thoughts become new music all the time. Uh, now the, the digital media uh, copies the real world and <laughs> makes it put everything what exists into a, into a digital space, into virtual space. But why? <laughs> why we want to have a look on Google Earth? Why everything should, should be transformed in digital space? I don't know. <laughs> because, uh, because the analog world is, is such a multidimensional place. One thing I really enjoyed about the book is you're very honest. Um, for example, you mentioned a Manchester gig you did when no one came, yeah. um, which, which would have been very easy to, to leave out. You know, you've had so many successes, it would be very easy to leave that out. But how important was it for you to, to show both failure and success and to be honest? You, do, you learn only by failure. You don't learn by success. <laughs> so this is the first thing what I told my students at the University of the Arts. Uh, it's very important because 
if if you are an artist, you think you're successful all the time, but in life shows a different version of of that. You you have to uh, maintain to be involved in art, although you are not successful, because in the first place you do it for yourself, and you learn. The thing is, you you can learn so many things uh, on music. First, your music becomes a mirror, and you have to discover yourself, your face in the in the music you create. And then you also can learn so many things of the nature of music, from the nature of music. Obviously, um, craftwork have a very mysterious air. They cultivate. The, this very mysterious air, you know, of of being machines. Um, do you think it was important for people to see behind that, to see the sort of beating human heart? Well, the narrative of Kraftwerk was just uh, taught by one person. So, and uh, th- there ain't no objectivity in this world. So it's, it's very important that, that you have to learn that other people have another reception of the world. So the police will always discover if there is an accident in the streets and, and they ask some witnesses. If there's 20 witnesses, you get 20 different stories of the, of the event. And in Kraftwerk, there were, we were three people in the Klinklang studio, composing the music. And Emil came from the outside and brought in his poetry. So there probably are three different perceptions what happened then. So it's interesting. Have you, presumably you have read Wolfgang's book about his life in Kraftwerk, I Was a Robot. Um, Did you agree with with what he said? Did it it seem... um, fairly true as well? Yeah, it was true in the fact that it's his his uh, perspective. And he didn't talk so much about music and, and the process of inventing music. But uh, Wolfgang is, is a very social person. And he brought this socialness into the inner circuit of Kraftwerk because Ralph and Florian weren't very social persons. They always said about themselves, they are loners or mavericks. I would call them rather egoists, uh, to be honest. So, and uh, egoist is, to be an egoist, it's, it's a main quality of capitalism. And in, in the beginning, that wasn't so, this idea and the, this things weren't so strong within Kraftwerk because we all were very younger. And then it started with, uh, with a record, Electric Cafe, which was originally called Technopop. It turned into Electric Cafe for some commercial reasons, actually, <laughs> and then turned back. And uh, this being becoming not successful anymore, it brought into very strange vibrations into Kraftwerk, which I tried to explain in the book. Yeah. Well, I want to ask about Electric Cafe because it is an album I, I love. 
Um, and I have to say, the telephone call is probably my favorite of all Kraftwerk songs. Um, really? But I, I get, I get the impression that certainly at the time you were you you were pretty sick of recording it, and I get the impression that that you know by the time it came out, you were just kind of finished with it. What do you think of it today, the album? Yeah, the the problem is what we changed our method during the record because the rest of the musical world progressed to digital machines like the the, the well all computer based keyboards like the Synclavier and uh, Fairlight computer and the rest of the world seemed to adapt to the concept of quantification of music. And it felt that we're losing this this um, avant-garde feeling. And but unfortunately, we we stopped playing with each other. We had this idea of coming from the world tour, and we mixed this with other ideas from our uh, writing sessions. But this time, we recorded it. We nailed it down very early and we forget that we used to play like jazz musicians do and like we did before the songs not recorded so and when you not record things your subconscious changed them and we didn't went to this procedure we just recorded it and then it was nailed down in a way on a multi-track and we didn't we couldn't change it anymore and and then we listened to we made the mistake to listen to our music, musical environment too much. We went to the dance floor, and there were these fantastic songs of the eighties, like like uh, Blue Monday, or, or from England, America. They came or Madonna came around, and and we thought we we were so different to them, but it was good in a way. <laughs> we should have. We rather should have capped it. So, but we felt that that competition. Yeah, yeah. Too much. But do, if you listen back to that record now, do you like it, or do you just hear no, the I, end? No, I don't. I don't. I don't like it too much because I knew what we what we could have done with it. Right. And it rather changed in, with towards sampling. It rather changed into. Uh, a serial music, serial kind of music, because the telephone was a very simple song, like the model in the beginning. So it was just, just somebody who didn't get the connection. <laughs> so, so he was in love with somebody else, but he couldn't get hold of her. And it was just a three-minute pop song. But towards sampling, we started with all the sounds of the telephone companies, it just just dial tone, dial tone, and telephone ring, and some so. And it was really like, uh, like what Stockhausen would did. Instead of being pop music, it turned into a serial uh, mono. It was not polyphonic anymore. All the Kraftwerk songs before were rather polyphonic because they were composed polyphonically, like 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 the pocket calculator. For instance, obviously, the, the book isn't isn't just about craft work. You talk about your early life as well, 
Um, and I, I love that when you actually went back to the town uh, in which your your mum grew up in, for example, and you tell her her story. Was that very emotional for you? Yes, yes, it's true, because these are my origins. And when I was a little boy and I heard my mother singing was was my uncle, and he played the sitter, this barbarian sound, and they, they looked at each other all the time. And then they finished the song, and then my mother started crying, tears of joy, and they hugged each other, and it was just like a, a lost a lost way of making music together. And in this generation, and my mother didn't, she, she always were singing when she was working in this Bavarian sound of the voice. But this was really, really, uh, I was really, really happy. And this way of happiness was not the moment before you need more happiness. <laughs> so it was just pure happiness. Well, I was interested because you talk about that and you talk about your love of the Beatles, for example. Um, I, I read a recent interview with you, recent-ish, where, where I think you talk about, you know, how you would advise people who want to get into music to get into, into video instead. Um, but d does your love for music, is it still as strong as ever these days? Yes, it is. E even more. Since I, I'm more into... <clears throat> I'm not any anymore into pop music really i'm into the sound of the world there's a sound of a sound of human beings because music is is going going to outlive us and music is you know the secret of music is it's is transient and eternal at the same time because it's transient, it comes from silent, it unfolds in, in, in space and time, and it ends in silence. It, it's exactly like us, like we we are. We come from eternal eternity and we go to eternity. And this makes me think even more and more about our existence. And this, how I think music is to think about music and to talk about music is very important uh, because there's things like silent music. If, if, you, if you think in your head, you lie in bed in the night and you think about a concert and it becomes really, you, you, you go back in time into, into your thoughts. And this is very important to me to discover all of this and to, to bring it inside the book that make people aware of that. I also love the bits in the book about recording with electronic. Um, and what was it like to work with Bernard Sumner and Johnny Marr? Also pure happiness. It made me feel so very happy become, because these people like, like Johnny Marr, he comes from this Irish background. And at Christmas, he goes with his guitar in, in the wine bar in Cheshire and he, sing, he, he sings with the people. And I, I really think this is the strongest way you actually can perform people, uh, music, uh, just for the sake of it and with other people in the room. And you sing along and uh, you celebrate life and music. Your first electric music album, Esperanto, 
um, is a bit of a classic. Um, uh, but why isn't it more? <laughs> why isn't it more readily available? Uh, I, I I can't think. It's not on streaming services. It's quite hard to come by. Um, do you have any plans to make it available again? Yeah, of course, of course, I do. It will be available, but uh, you know this this giant book. <laughs> it, it took so many years of my energy because I I just wanted to make it real. So and you end up working every day for weeks, months, years, really, to get it done. But now I'm going back to music now. Okay, can we expect some new music from you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I already have, have been ready, almost ready, with a symphonic piece with the sound of a symphonic orchestra. Mm-hmm. It there will be percussion in it, but not the way pop music do it. Just rather more like a classical orchestra would do it. And the sound of the environment, the sound of the world, the sound of Earth. Where would you advise someone who's interested in your solo work to start? What do you think, what record should they listen to or song? Wow. Never asked me this question before. (laughs) It's a good question. Actually, I I don't know really. I don't know. So when when I was listening to the Beatles for the first, I started somewhere. My brother-in-law brought me the first record and I didn't know about the Beatles. You have to start somewhere. And you you find the rest of it very naturally. If if you if you like a hard day's night, you probably like day tripper. <laughs> so, so um, you you talked about writing the book. It was a lot of work. Um, is it very different for you writing words, writing a book, to writing music, or would you say it's the same parts of your brain working? Well, it's a, it's a different part of the brain, actually, because uh, you can't say, well, music is very abstract. So a chord doesn't mean anything or a melody doesn't say anything. It's just it delivers a feeling. And while I was listening to the Beatles, I didn't understand what they sang about. I just wanted to feel like they s- sound like. So my... So, and if I, you, you can't say in music, the tree has green leaves, <laughs> you, you can, but you can write it in a book. And if you wanted to write about music, in some places, you have to write like music sounds like, to transfer the feeling into written words. But sometimes I found it very frustrating because I can't. I couldn't bring across what I wanted. That's why I, when I when you write about music, you come to the place where you have to say you should listen yourself. <laughs> One thing I learned from your book, which I didn't know before, was how much experience you had as a percussionist uh, with with orchestras and and with bands. I knew you'd come from that background, but I didn't realize you, you know quite how much you'd done. I found this really interesting because um, Kraftwerk obviously had live drummers, but they helped to um, bring in a kind of music that often relied on a drum machine. How do you feel about that as a as a drummer being in a, being in a band that arguably helped to 
bring in drum machines and arguably meant less work for drummers in the end? Well, you, you know, music consists out of <clears throat> of the elements, and the elements are melody, harmony, counterpoint. You have um, the texture, you have the volume, and you have the time. And these elements are glued together. You can't separate them. But only in pop music and in jazz, the the drums came up. This is a relatively new experiment in in other countries um music the drums play a different form and in class in classical music also they are just like uh in in a symphony the timpani or the the xylophone or they have a completely different role and I, I always rather felt like a composer instead of being a percussionist player. I Even before I was in Kraftwerk, I composed a lot of stuff, uh, like 12-tone music. like, uh, And uh, so it was just nat- naturally that I didn't feel, I, I couldn't play drums. So in, it just was the opposite. A drum machine, I found, is like more like an abstraction of time. So like a bar graph in written music, they are, they are anonymous and they divide time like uh, like bars. But is that a bad thing for you? No, no. I think it's it's really interesting today. And to me, the, the all the glued elements of music, they are forming an organic whole. And this is the thing I'm after. So I wanted to ask as well, um, you mentioned in your book uh, that you met Florian Schneider after he left Kraftwerk. Yeah. How, how was he? Was he feeling sort of liberated? Uh, yes. He was very happy because he left before, really 20 years before. But they had these contracts to fill, for fulfill. He left many years before in his brain and uh but it it made me really very sad because he was talking all the time about the trademark which he's going to sell now and i i felt like being on the stock market yeah and you know watching the curve the curve going up and down like what happened now with with twitter see this is interesting what do you make of the music business as a whole. I got a feeling that you love music, but some of the aspects of the actual music business left you a bit a bit cold. Uh, since music business was always, as it says, business, even with the Beatles and uh, and even before, even with Mozart, he had to sell what he what he was composed to somebody to make a living. But he was the first composer who were independent, really. Right. And I really loved to being an independent composer, but you have to make a a living if you are a composer. You have to sell your composition somehow. But um but I really love as I said before, if people just celebrate music without selling it. <laughs> and I have the best musical moments if I'm in a studio all by myself and I play the piano and I'm I found a new melody or something. It, I'm just the happiest person in the world. 
<laughs> well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Um, the book is excellent, and I would definitely recommend uh, anyone, anyone to go and read it. Um, Carl, thank you so much for everything, and um, best of luck. I really look forward to when you when you do get back to music as well. Yeah, I will. I will definitely. And it's uh, thank you for your interest and to praising the book. <laughs> oh, it's great! It's it, it's it's an absolutely great book. Like I said, three days, and I was uh, and I'd finished it, which is oh, three days. Yeah, yeah. And I've got children, so I don't get a lot of time to to read books. But that, it was fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. And hopefully uh, you can uh, come and play a gig in Barcelona soon. Barcelona, yeah, yeah. Great city. <laughs> Why not? All right. Thank you so much.